Hey there, I'm Michelle Sherrier, and this is the Retail Whore Podcast. Stories and lessons from the life in retail. Hello, hello, guys. All right, so today's episode is sort of, I don't know, twofold. One, it's in celebration of National Sobriety Day. It is also to give you some tools for mental health going into what will be the crazy season of our fourth quarter holiday. I've really tried to interview people across the board that are everything from our retailers that everyone learns from to solos where I give you information that I've learned from to um, SEO people, open to buy people, branding people, everything to give you more for your toolbox. There are things that I wish I had in my toolbox when I was a retail owner. So I just love being able to bring stuff like this to you. Today's guest is Dale Rhodes from Caton. You all so many of you commented about how much you loved his interview and his belief of customer service and how Caton came to be. And so I've had him back. I wanted to catch up with them, find out what's going on. And he was very honest and very open and upfront about his sobriety and how it plays into running his day-to-day business for Caton. We got a real inside glimpse to how it all went down. And he is just so gracious with his information and I'll be honest like his his appreciation for his sobriety and his uh, I don't know his zest for life is is just so apparent when you listen to him and how grateful he is for his life and how everything has happened and to be honest his sobriety so I'm super excited for you to hear this recording. No, it is not our normal conversation. But again, I feel like with our fourth quarter and us going into it, some mental health things um, like this, I think are super important. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dale Rhodes of Caton. Dale, welcome back. Thanks to have me back. So good. <laughs> Number two. Number Let's two. Go. We just had our our second round round trip uh, uh, review, whatever you want to call it, round two with Sean from Socksmith. So it's like so much fun to retract. A lot of people <laughs> have like reached out with you, and a lot of people reached out with Sean, like how engaging you were and how much they loved your interviews. So that was the, you guys are the first round of people that were starting to you know double back and kind of re re-interview again and get caught up with what everyone's doing. Well, I feel honored and thank (laughs) you for having me back. Um, We talked last time a lot about your days in the eighties in retail. And I want to ask you, because we talked about this off camera and I want to talk to you about, you know, during the eighties, we all know it was like major party scene and we were all a bit out of control, myself included Tell me what that looks like on a day-to-day, going to work, partying, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. So, well, I was kind of a late bloomer. So I started, I started in like the early 80s. <clears throat> I think we spoke about, I worked for the Marcianos and Camp Beverly Hills. So I was still young um, and I didn't start using and drinking until pretty much my high school year. So I think the first time I did cocaine was uh, my senior prom. So okay. it, it started right then. And uh, and then it just went. But yeah, the, the it just seemed like the fashion business, surfing and partying all went together. It was like, um, it, it was, you know, you couldn't do one without the other. And, um, and it just kind of escalated. And it, it was always fun. You know, it was always fun. Was everybody like, you know, because I know, I think I was at that time, I think I was waiting tables in Manhattan Beach in a restaurant and like everybody was partying like, you know, like, you know, you, you close the restaurant and then everyone continued to party on and like, 
you know, we pulled all nighters a lot. And then I'd get up and go to work again. Was it the same in the industry? Like where like during the shows, like everyone would party all night and just roll into work the next day? Yeah. Like especially uh, magic, the old magic days, we would be out gambling all night, doing cocaine all night, maybe getting an hour rest. And these were the days when magic was five days. They were long hauls. So it was every night working with a smiley face, making it happen. And um, it was crazy how we got through it. But, you know, the fifth day, you feel a bit run down. But you never took you never took a night off. I mean, you were out every night. And, um, you know, and it was same with when I was competing and surfing. You know, there was times when I was traveling up all night. And had to compete for two to three days. What? You were competing and still partying? Yes, and making it happen. There was a couple of events where I partied all night, no sleep, and then win the contest. Oh, my God. But that's when you're 19, 20, 20. You're young. You're able to – you're pretty vibrant. You you bounce back pretty quickly, you know. Um, So, yeah, there was a lot of that going on, and everyone was doing it. And it was acceptable. It wasn't like you were frowned on or looked down on because everybody was doing it. It's shocking to me that everyone was still able to like keep going. Yeah. I mean, that's being youthful (laughs) helps. The older you get, the harder it is. And then it doesn't work anymore. And then, you know, then you have to retire it. You, You have been sober for a long time, which I love. There's a lot of people, you know, that have, turn their lives around and have decided to be sober as a way of life. Cause it's obviously the, the only way to go at this point. What, what was the turning point for you? You know, I had, my daughter was four and I was looking at her going, wow, I'm doing the same thing my dad did to me. Wow. And I was at, at Hurley at the time. And, um, you know, I was partying hard on the weekend making shit happen during the week, you know. Um, I had a full crew, I had a showroom, you know, I had a team, so I kind of depended on the team. So I was able to kind of dodge and weave through it. Uh, But I woke up, well, actually, I was coming down off of a really bad trip of ecstasy and cocaine. And I was at a bar by my house in Malibu called The Sunset coming down off of it, like right when they open, they open at like nine in the morning for breakfast. And I went in and I was drinking pretty hard to come down off this bad kind of ecstasy trip. And I walked out to the beach and I was looking up in the sun and I felt like I was just, I died right there. I died right there. A couple buddies drove by and they saw me and they're like, what in the hell is he doing? They grabbed me, they scooped me up. They, you know, they found out real quick that I was intoxicated and under the influence. And they took me up to my house and um, they put me in my bed and they kind of let me have it. It was kind of an accidental intervention. They let me have it. And they just said, dude, what are you doing? You're pompous. You're arrogant. Mm. No one cares about how successful you are. Um, And you need help. And I was just like, it just hit me. And I thought about my daughter and I thought about my upbringing. And I said, you're right. And they called my friend Khalil, who owns Sun Life. He, he was a counselor there at the time. And they had a room at the Canyon, which Fred Siegel owned. Wait till you tell that. Wait till I tell you the story with Khalil. Like he, I, I, we'll get into that. Yeah. So Fred Siegel owned the 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 facility. The the uh, he didn't own the sober living or the rehab, but he owned the building that it was in. And Fred was a huge supporter of uh, rehabilitation. And, and was this on? Was this the the ranch in Canaan Dune? Yep. Yep. So we, so, we li- I lived there for a while, so I, I know that property well. Beautiful property. So. They said, hey, we don't have a room until we don't have a bed for you until 6 p.m. Now, mind you, this this is about one. So I know I'm going to rehab. And what does an addict do? Drink more. Try to get as much as possible in my system 
before I went. You know, that's that's the alcoholic mind. It's a disease. And I just went hard. So when they got me there, I was kind of like just out of it. Wow. And um, yeah, so I, I, would, I, I was admitted. And, um, you know, I slept for two days. I woke up. I called Bob Hurley like, hey, I'm not going to be coming to work because I'm checked into rehab. And he was dumbfounded. And he said, what do you mean rehab? Because an alcoholic, we're, we're really like, uh, we're crafty. We're able to hide it a fair bit, except from our close ones. But he didn't know that I had an alcoholic and drug uh, addiction. How, was he supportive with you going in? Because it, he, I think he was going to pay for it. He goes, oh, wow. $61,000 for the month. Wow. And I said, no, you're not, because I already put it on my credit card. And at that point, it's like, that's my responsibility. You know what I mean? I, I It's not his responsibility. He was already so uh, gracious and kind to me and, and took really good care of me at Hurley. Um, so, but yeah, he said, hey, I'll pay for it. I said, I've, I've got it handled. So yeah, so that was the beginning. And that was a little over 17 years ago. Wow. How... <laughs> That program <clears throat> that is at the, that property, I remember when they were building that house because they built that house. Fred was going to live in it and then decided it was obviously too big because it's like 10,000 square feet. It's massive. Yeah. And it, it's funny, you know, I, I, I don't think people realize like in the industry, like how during that time, how parting was so much the norm and and I think it, I feel like it's kind of rolled in now as we've gotten older. Now it's, you know, drinking like that. There's still people that are hanging on to that as like the day to day. That's what gets them through. But I think a lot of it is because of the, the industry that everyone's not, not that the industry is partying, but I think that the stress of the industry is what a lot of people are still clinging on to and still as a daily habit. Yeah, I think some people are able to do it. So some people are not alcoholic and they're able to party and put the half a beer down or put the half a glass of wine down, um, you know, not doing the drugs and they drink and they party and they have a good time. And then there's people like myself that <clears throat> have the disease like a lot of others. And when you ingest the drugs and alcohol, I have an allergy to it. And that allergy turns into something pretty significant where I can't stop. And I continue to go until I black out or pass out. So, you know, and it's a, you know, it's, um, it's a disease allergy of the body. And, um, which I didn't know that then, but I knew at the very end that I couldn't live like this anymore. And it was affecting my, my life, um, my marriage, my career, my friendships, and uh, which I didn't see it at the time because all I wanted to do was work and and drown the sorrows of the past of my childhood. You know, I had a rough childhood. You know, I was abandoned. Uh, I was molested for years by my uncle. Um, you know, my dad left us when I was eight. My mom and I grew up in the HUD projects in Canoga Park, and she was an alcoholic, and she died of the disease. So. Like there was a lot of childhood trauma that I was uh, masking, you know, at the same time, uh, but the disease had me and uh, there was no getting away from it until I finally, you know, surrendered and I uh, had to be open-minded and teachable of what I'm up against. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it changed my life immensely today. I, uh, I, I live a completely different life. I, I'm beyond blessed in so many different ways. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone's struggling with, hey, mental health, uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, no one should ever be embarrassed because today, you know, we, you know, people are open-minded to helping others and, and there is a solution. There really is a solution in living uh, a better life. Is the mental health thing, you know, because it seems like the SERP industry as a whole has become a lot more open-minded about, not open-minded, have been more like, please open up and tell us when you have some issues 
after Andy Irons committed suicide or, you know, was it suicide or was it overdose? It, yeah, it was overdose. Yeah. I mean, the, was, has the surf industry, has it was that kind of the turning point for the, for the industry, for the surf side of it, of, of when people start really realizing that there are, there are issues out there that no one talks about? You know, I think back then, you know, people looked down on people of, you know, mental health, drug addiction, alcoholism. No one ever wants to admit they're an alcoholic. It's the hardest thing to do. But it's the most rewarding thing that we can do if we really want to get help. Um, so today, you know, it's really like I'm very open about my alcoholism, addiction, molestation, abandonment. It, it's okay. Like, you know, the more that I talk about it, the better I get. And not only that, there's people out there that are living the same life. And so when they hear people talking about it, they're like, oh my God, me too. So they're not the only one which gets them out. It gets them out to go, okay, I can get help. I can talk about this without being embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah. It's a dirty thing, you know, but it's a great, you know, there's been a lot of great things that are happening for, you know, homeless, uh, mental health, addiction, it's great. It wasn't like that 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think we're going in the right direction. But all you have to do is <clears throat> make the call and um, you're on your way. When you got out of rehab and you're now going back into the industry that you were parting in and everyone was parting in, what, how, what did that look like and how hard was that to stay? I mean, you knew, but a, a month into rehab, it seems like it's still so fresh that... You know, it, it's a new way of life. Like, you know, for instance, my, my friend Khalil, when I came to, it was like day two or three, he looked at me and he has 23, 24 years of sobriety. He owns Sober Livings. Uh, he's in the wellness business. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, it's over. You don't have to do this anymore. I'm like, wait, what do you mean it's over? What's over? He's, you don't have to live the life you've been living. It's wow. done. You're going to live the life beyond your wildest dreams today, starting from today. Mm. You know, and, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of work. There, it, There's a lot of step work. Um, you know, there's principles and step work to live your life. And these these steps are, you're able to put these steps in the big book into application in everyday life. So it's like a blueprint. It's a blueprint of living life under life's terms. And um, so... You can't just get sober and then everything is going to be okay. There's work to be done. Uh, you never graduate from this program. You know, it's a long journey. It's till the day I die. Uh, but, you know, the first 30 days, so in rehab was, you know, a huge adjustment. Eating cleaner, hanging out with, you know, uh, therapists that were, you know, teaching me what I'm going to be up against um, and going through the motions the day that I got out, you know, I went back to work for Hurley. So I was working and, you know, being in the industry and going to shows. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on and people are drinking and <clears throat> it's an adjustment. And, um, but I think, it, on? well, you know, I, I think I was done. I was really done because now the first year I didn't go to bars. I didn't go to events. Like I kept away from those. You, you have a new set of friends. So the, the, the friend pool changes. So the old party people that you hung out with, you're not hanging out with them anymore. You know, water seeks its own level. Alcoholic and drunks hang out together. Successful people hang out together. Mm. Um, you know, the top 1% <clears throat> wage earners, they all hang out together. So you find your clique. And my click was the people of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and the people in the industry that didn't drink. Um, you know, it was great. Roger Wyatt, who was the big man at Nike uh, under um, uh, Phil Knight, you know, when uh, Nike came in and bought Hurley, he was sober. Mm. So he brought me down to Newport Beach, you know, to probably test some management skills and kind of have me close 
and it was great. So he was kind of a mentor early on and, you know, mm. he was sober. So I got to hang out with him for a while. Um, so like you always kind of find the guy who's sober and clean and who's been living the life right. Um, and then, you know, I left Hurley uh, some years after and I've been at Caton and my employer, he's sober. He has, wow. uh, he has 26, 27 years sobriety and he's open like me. He, you know, he tells people that. So, you know, it, it's great. You know, I'm around him who's sober. My girlfriend has 14 years of sobriety. So it's kind of cool how you surround yourself around those types of people, uh, which is great encouragement. And, you know, we live the same lifestyle. Yeah, so. I, I would assume that would be challenging to be that one per. I mean, you know, in a relationship where your partner's drinking and you're stone sober. Yeah. And, you know, so, hey, it, this my experience doesn't happen for everyone. You know, some people have it more challenging, uh, which means more work and um, honesty, uh, doing the next right thing. And then once you get in the groove, then you look back and go, wow, that was all a lie. The wow. partying and the drinking and the using, that was a lie. It was a lie. It was a big lie. There was no fun with it. Early on, there was fun. You know, when I was, you know, in my, you know, 19 and 20 to 25, it was all fun and great. Really didn't affect me much until I got older. You yeah. know, <clears throat> I had three DUIs. I did a, a year in jail and that wow. didn't stop me. Wow. And, I kept and using things happen. They just don't stop. My best friend died of a cocaine overdose. My very best friend. I went to the morgue with his mother. His mother wanted me to go. Oh, God. And I saw him on the gurney dead. It was the night after his birthday, which was on Halloween, and he was still in his costume, makeup, dead. Oh. That didn't stop me. I kept using and drinking. You know, there's these periods of where you stop and, uh, okay, I'm good. You know, maybe I can have a couple of drinks. And, yes, I had a couple of drinks, but then... Ultimately, it goes right back into full-fledged drinking and using. Wow. So <clears throat> it's a serious disease. Um, it's like, it's almost people, it's like cancer. I'm in remission. You know, I'll always have this disease. And it's only dependent on my sobriety. I only have a daily reprieve every day. That's it. And I have to worry about today. But anyways, finally got to it and it changed my life. I mean, I, I live a life today because of Alcoholics Anonymous, a life beyond my wildest dreams, you know. Um, my career is at its height, and I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 next month. Oh, well, um, I, I feel like I'm 25 still. <clears throat> I've been in this industry for 40 years, and I've been through the highs and lows all the way through, and it feels like I'm still new in this business, and I love it every day. And I really think it's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I have to tell you <clears throat> the story with Cahill and I, I, I know I'm <clears throat> like an insane person. So I read his book, I forgot to die, which was fucking insane. Like if anybody wants to read a book about somebody mm -hmm. going through like the shit and then building his, his, his life up again is it's mind blowing. But I'm reading this book and it's, I have no idea why I saw a re report on it somewhere and I picked it up and I'm reading it and I, I, as I'm reading through the book, he's talking about, you know, starting like, you know, going, he met Fred Siegel. He's living on this ranch. I'm like, oh my God. He talks about Sherman who, you know, helped him out. Okay. I was like, what? I'm, I literally sent him a DM. I'm like, I'm going to sound like a crazy person, but I lived on the Fred Siegel ranch. Sherman was in my wedding. He was, she was my husband's best woman, but I was like, this is so weird. Like I know I've crossed paths with you sometime, but I sounded like a fucking insane person, but his story is just like phenomenal. And, and the brand that he's built sun life is like, you know, unbelievable. And talk about like life is going like your wildest dreams. If you, you know, stop drinking, you follow the path, you stop using like, his brand and what he's created in his sobriety is fucking insane. Yeah, he, he's my Eskimo. I mean, we're best friends. I was just with him a week ago in Austin. He moved to Austin. Um, Everybody moved to Austin. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, half of California has. Yeah. So he, he's done a wonderful job. He's a wonderful human. He's done a lot of great greatness for a lot of humans. He's built a, a huge machine, um, and uh, he's done great. And, you know, I don't even – I think he dropped out of school in junior high, no education. Wow. But, I mean, unreal. Uh, you know, he's he's, he's well-read, uh, and he – pulled up his bootstraps, did it himself. I mean, there was a time when he was working at the rehab when I was in there, he was walk, He was washing uh, Lou Gossett's car every other day. He was walking Sherman's dogs. He was working at the rehab. And, um, you know, there was, an, uh, there was a piece in his book that he spoke about our conversation. I told him, brother, you're making 17 bucks an hour. Like you can do so much better than this. He was a little offended, but it did kick him in the ass to go, wow, to look at himself and go, wow, I'm better than this. And this was only a stepping stone because he was pretty content where he was at. And, um, he really hustled and worked hard and, you know, made, made something just fantastic the story is phenomenal i mean like honest to god like that i went through that book so fast that i mean it was such a phenomenal story just the like yeah. talk about the phoenix rising from the ashes like holy shit like that was and there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other stories like that too you know it's great so like if you're struggling and you think there's no way out there really is it's just the human condition our mind is lying to us saying there's no way out that's the bigger problem too is it's not only the alcoholism it's the mind disease that we have <clears throat> we all have it two o'clock in the morning we have negative thoughts most of us do we wake up like oh my god am i gonna make the rent am i going to hit the mark with my my spouse am i going to hit the mark with my employer um, am i worthy Am I, what's going to happen to me at retirement? <clears throat> we have a mind that can find fault and fear in everything we do, which is a lie. We wake up in the morning, we're like, whoa, okay, thank God that's gone. And most of us realize, okay, those were just lies. And we just have to put one foot in front of the other, do the next right thing, and great things are going to happen. So if you're struggling, you can do it too. <clears throat> and um, it's just getting to that surrender and acceptance of the disease. In part of AA, it's to give back to others. And mm. your, your um, pet charity, your, your love of giving back has led you to a walk on water. You had an event this last week. I love, I have to tell you, I absolutely love seeing you with the kids. I know we talked a little bit about walk on water before we touched on at the end, talk a little bit more about what walk on water does for families and for children. And when you say a walk on water, it strikes a chord and it wants to make me cry. It's a very emotional thing for um, any human to give back to others. Um, <clears throat> you know, when we can take ourselves out of ourself and give back to others, that is the only time that we have peace in our mind. Because for the most part, we're all pretty self-centered, thinking about <clears throat> what's next, what am I gonna get, when's the paycheck coming, um, when, am I getting the new car, the new jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. But when, when you're doing something for others is the only time it takes that craziness out of our head so I got involved with a walk on water <clears throat> 10 years ago. Uh, my dear friend, Stephen Littman, uh, invited me. And at the time, I'm like, hey, brother, I'm really busy. I don't have time for this. You know, the, the arrogant ego side of my, my, my being. And I go, okay, I'll come down. So I came down. In a walk on water, we work with all different needs cerebral palsy, different spectrums of autism, blind, paraplegic. We worked with we worked with about 1,500 families across the whole country and uh, through surf therapy. So we give them surf therapy. <clears throat> so I went to the event. It was at the ranch up in Santa Barbara. And I'm there. I'm like, okay, I'm here. Let's go. And I took out this. I know. Yeah. Again, self-serving. 
arrogant, pompous, still. And I'm sober. I'm sober at this time still, too. Early sobriety. And, you know, I take this girl out surfing. <clears throat> she was uh, low level on the spectrum and, you know, not really functioning. You know, it just, it, she was just really awkward. And um, I'm like, okay, let's go. We took her out. We caught this wave. Now, I can't see her because she's in front of me and we're riding the wave. And I hear her laughing and giggling. Mm. And at that very moment, I busted out crying. I just got chills. Lost it. From that very moment, I was hooked. I was sold. I knew that I had a purpose in life. My career is great. I love it. But a walk on water is my life. Um, and doing for others is just so rewarding. And I felt it internally. It was instantaneous. You know, the karma is instantaneous. It's not that I did something good for someone else that I'm going to get greatness. The greatness was what went through my heart and mm. the, the emotions that came out of my, my mouth and my body and my mind. And we just went back out. We just did it wave after wave. And then we switch off with other children. The families, you know, when, when you have kids of uh, any needs, it's a full-time job. It's 24-7 all day, every day. The family has to be on point every day. If you're sick, if you're hungover, anything, you have to be on point with your with your child, you know. So this is a time when the families come to the beach and they can let their hair down and eat great food, organic food, and watch your kids surf with uh, surf instructors. And it changes their lives because it actually, <clears throat> the more times that they do it, they, uh, they're building self-esteem in themselves. And the parents are building self-esteem. And they know that there's a life beyond what they've been handed. And so we do 12 to 15 events a year. And we have, you know, 1,500 families. And they come down. Paul Mitchell's our main sponsor. So Paul Mitchell, they come down and they, they activate, you know, a hair salon and makeup. And they do the parents' hair and they cut hair. Uh, we have painting, we have karaoke, so all the kids sing, do painting, they're surfing. Um, it, it's massive. It's a massive undertaking, but it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my whole entire life. It taught me that I was a selfish, pompous person. I mean, <clears throat> when I say that, I say that in a way like I'm really not, but you know, we all get a little selfish. Yeah. But when I'm there... For the whole day, working with these children and the families and to see the smiles and the laughter, like, that's life-changing. And it takes me out of my head. I'm not thinking about Dale anymore. I'm not thinking about what I have to do. I'm thinking about these children. So, you know, 10 years, I've been there 10 years. Uh, I'm a board member with 10 other board members. And... Um, you know, we're doing great things. We're changing lives. Uh, we've changed families. Um, and, um, you know, it's great. We've had a lot of these kids from little all the way up to teenagers. So, um, yeah, it's great. A walk on water. Check it out. Go to the site. Go to the Instagram and um, get involved. How, if somebody, because one of the girls who works for me, um, she does the installations every holiday with us. She has, um, one of her sons is extremely handicapped and talk about a full-time job. This mama, like he, he's nonverbal, he's in a wheelchair, he can't walk on his own. Like, and this mama, like, let me tell you, she is doing it like i mean when you say they they have no break it's 24 7 it is no joke and to watch bianca with her son and there's so much love and she just like it, it just to watch her with him like how do families get involved because i would love to tell her i don't think she knows about walk on i'd love to tell her about it so she could she can, she can you know you can give her my number i can get her involved uh the website you can go to the website and register uh, it's crazy when we set like uh, a new event for registration, it books out within two to three minutes. People, wow. families, <clears throat> wait, hundreds of families wait to sign up to see if they got in. It's that big of uh, a draw. But, you know, have her contact me. We'll get him out in the water. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we have a really we have one young lady who's blind and um, with autism as well, and has changed her life. She gets to ride wave standing up blind, uh. only feeling feeling the the feeling that goes through the body. Um, she doesn't have to see; she feels it, and we do that with paraplegics and. You know, so there's no one that we haven't gotten out in the water. I love. I'm going to tell her about how do you pe- the <coughs> website so for people would like to get involved. To yeah, so it, it's a walkonwater.com or .org and um, reach out to us or reach out to me to my Instagram, uh, Dollywood Dollywood. And um, yeah, I'll get you guys squared away. Um, I have to ask you how you came up with your Instagram name. <laughs> I've always wondered that. Well, yeah. It, <clears throat> so being in uh, central Mexico when I was like 23 or four surfing with uh, my cousins from Hawaii, uh, they, they, they speak fluent Spanish. And Dale is Dolly in Spanish. Ah. So Dolly, D-A-L-I, turned into Dolly, D-O-L-L-Y. <laughs> Then it went to Dollywood, and then Instagram already has a Dollywood, our famous Dollywood. Then I had to add another Dollywood to secure that. So, yeah, that's the nickname. I like to go by DR, you know, which is my true, my moniker, I guess, if you will. Um, DR. And then, and then, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a little bit about retail now that we've yes. gone down this road. I just, you retail, know, who cares about retail? <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's like, it's like what I've realized with this podcast is like, you know, I, I interviewed two girls that started a brand called um, Detox Babe and their story of how they created this brand. One went through a horrible sexual like assault and the other had um, was diagnosed with extremely debilitating um, Lyme's disease where she was like basically in a wheelchair. And these two creating this brand together out of what they needed for each other and themselves is amazing. And I realizing the while the podcast is retail, there are so many stories of people embedded in retail. And that's partly, you know, whether it's giving back or, you know, what, what you went through and where you're at now. I mean, I've, I've realized that that's part of this podcast and it's, I, I, I love when people are vulnerable and we'll talk about it, but we're going to talk a little bit about retail now, (laughs) a little bit. I love retail. I mean, this is a great time for new brands to come into the industry. It really is. I mean, you just have so many new, like there's this new baby boomer going on. There's so many new people in the industry, so many new end users and consumers. Yeah. And social media has has made our business a lot larger. Now, you know, there's a lot of competition. So it's, you know, it's rough. Um you just have to have the right messaging, you know, and, you know, D to C has really opened up retail for a lot of people. You can go direct to your customer. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's a good time, you know. You know, we're coming out of COVID. COVID's behind us. And, um, I mean, some would debate that, but, um, you know, I travel the country. I'm in a lot of places. I'm in tune globally because of all of our global partners that we have. And I'm in close contact globally. And uh, yeah, I said that four times. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, it's behind us. Uh, it's our business is normalizing. Yeah. The last two years have been smoking. Yeah, if, you talked about that off camera. And I think every single one of my retailers is like, you know, we're down, we're down. I'm like, you're not really down. The last two years, like we're kind of this surreal, not a real, it's not a real gauge on what reality your business is. Like I'm telling people to compare things to 2019 because like, don't compare it to the last two years. So it goes back to alcoholism. It's a mind disease that we have. Mm. We have a case of forgetfulness. Just because we had two great years, you know, you would have to be, I don't want to be mean, but you'd have to be an idiot to think that was sustainable, okay? 
Um, again, I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen the hills and valleys, and we're the the industry will always be growing. It's going to grow beyond you know our expectations when I'm gone and when you're gone. So those two years were anomalies. It was $3 trillion of free money in the marketplace. All that money has been spent. It's gone. Um, so we're back to normal. Um, weather has hurt our business more than the economy. Um, you know, people are still out spending. I mean, I'm gauging a lot of places and where the weather's nice, people are spending. Okay. Now, if you are flat this year from last year, that is a huge plus. If you are under, that's okay. This is a re-gauge. So, you know, it's like sobriety. You live in the moment. You live for today. I don't measure things from last year or the year before. I mean, I do on a business standpoint because I have to. That's my job. But reality is we build. This is a new, fresh year past COVID. You know, there was a glutton of, you know, inventory in the market. People are weeding through. Um, they seem to be selling through it, discounting, doing whatever they can to get rid of the product. So if you're in retail today, I wouldn't be measuring anything to the last two years, three years. I would be looking at my pocketbook, how my register's ringing, and get right-sized. Get my inventory right-sized to my, you know, my consumer spend. And that's where you start. So in 24, you should be measuring off 23. But you are right, you know. Things have gone back to 19 numbers, uh, which weren't bad at all. 19 wow. is okay. So again, <clears throat> if you're a retailer listening to this, get out of your head. Stop measuring last year and the year before because it's irrelevant, doesn't count. Measure your inventory level to what your your budget is and what your what the end consumer is spending. You know, you already know you're four months into the year. You already know the the spending habits. Engage your inventory towards that and start fresh. You know, um, you know, don't do a lot of spending. Um, you know, market. And, you know, have great product. You know, great product always wins at the end of the day. So, you know, again, it's a human, it's a human disease that we have. You had mentioned the new retailers that are coming out now. And I, I love, and I've talked about this a lot, I love seeing, like, this next generation of retailers because they're doing things very different than all of us know as the standard way to do retail. Talk to me about some of the younger new retailers and the differences of old school retail and what they're doing now. Yeah, it's amazing. Again, it's these new pop-ups, <clears throat> these new stores that are popping up all over the country. Uh, they, they are not one-dimensional retailers. They have home goods. They have men's product they have women's uh they may have uh you know other items that they're curating um it's all about the you know celebrating the products uh you know on the floor um social media is hot social media is able to you know engage with their end user and they're popping up everywhere they're like 1200 square feet um, and they're doing great and they're young. Um, so they're not one dimensional, like we're, they're not just a women's boutique. They're not just a surf shop selling surfboards and wetsuits. Uh, they're very broad and it's great. Some are selling art. Uh, you know, I was in Texas last week and, you know, I went to all the major cities, saw a lot of our like bigger accounts and then a lot of the mom and pop well curated uh, shops as well. Um, so it, it's been, it, it's out there. It's great. You know, um, it's, it's, I, I love it because it's not like the norm, the old school way of, of retail. Do you see a lot of, cause I, to me now the retail experience is a lot about having that interactive 
um, having, you know, that excitement of something going on and forever. Cause Dave, my husband's a shaper as well. And it's, I always said to him, like, man, if I ever had retail again, I swear I'd go back into having, you know, a shop that sold men's and women's and sort of the salt surf culture and then have a, a shaping room in the back with just one big glass wall. So you can just see people shaping, you know, as it's going, that whole interactive, I think that to me is what retail is about now is that somewhat of that interactive experience for the consumer. So there's a lot, there's a lot of that happening and that's happening with the educational level. Mm. So the foot soldier is well versed in all the products are on the floor. So they're coming up very sweet. Can I help you looking for anything? And they have an answer. They have an answer for every question that comes their way, which is odd. You know what I mean? So it's not like you walk in the surf shop and the kids in the back texting or on Instagram and like, can I help you? You know, um, you know, they don't have the answers when you don't have the answers for the end user. They, they disengage, you know, it's all about building a relationship, uh, community uh, relationship, you know. So when you're walking into these stores, they make you feel at home. Uh, they're not selling you. It's a soft sell. They're giving you the information. And in return, that end user is like, God, I'm, I want to support this person. I got to buy something. I'm going to buy a candle and a card, you know, if, uh, if not anything else, you know, because they just that person took the extra moment to engage with the person walking through the door. And I think those are the people that are going to be thriving a lot more than the others. Uh, so, you know, foot soldiers have to engage. And when I was working retail, I mean, you know, we were incentivized, you know, guest jeans, they incentivized us. They gave us a 1% commission over $10,000 sold in a month. So we were always engaging, upselling, you know, making notes. You know, another thing is, you know, retailers making notes on the customers, on their everyday oh, customers. Thank you. You know, like, you know, when Heather Locklear used to walk into uh, MGA, I used to sell her denim and I would go, okay, Heather was here a month ago. She got the black wash. I'm a seller on the stone wash now. And, and you know like, her how- sizes. So you pull them out for her and you take them to the she's fitting like, room. And- she's like, how'd you know, Dale? And I'm like, oh, I didn't tell her I had the black book, but I just said, oh, I remember, you know. Yeah. And so when you remember about someone's life or the things that they bought, it just brings that bond so much closer. And Bob Hurley taught, taught us that as well. It's like, know your people, know, you know, be genuine, know what they're all about, ask the questions. And I know you can't do that with everyone, but those local, you know, high net worth people that are spending money all the time, yes. you better know what they bought last time. And they feel good about that. And, and you're providing them a great service. So, I mean, you know, I, I, that you're like literally like, I st- will stand on my soapbox forever about that kind of customer service because, you know, again, like, you know, you, you understanding and knowing your customer and taking them through a very, you know, spoon fed experience of like, I'm going to pull, I'll have these in the fitting room for you. And you know, your customer and you know, how was your vacation? And that kind of intimacy with your customer is what is going to grow them as a forever client, as long as you are there with them. Yeah. I mean, texting your clients, letting them know you have something new, you have this that just came in. I mean, Hey, it's like a relationship with your wife or husband. You bring home the flowers you show the appreciation, you take them to dinner where they want to go, not where I want to go. It's the mindfulness of a human being, you know, engaging with someone they don't even know. And the more that you can engage and do those extra little things, you know, highly likely that's going to become a fan and a customer in your store forever. Oh so, it, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's really, okay, great product, got to have great product well-celebrated and curated product, uh, customer service. You know, customers always write, yeah, we get frustrated, we got to return something, no problem, got you, because that one return is going to result in some upselling and some other purchases in the future. 
I mean, you know, someone's saying there, if someone today is saying their retail is horrible, they have to look in the mirror and ask themselves, what am I doing wrong um, with all those pillars? And, or going, am I cut out for this? Is this the right business? Don't blame gas prices. Don't blame presidencies. Don't blame gas. Don't blame anyone but yourself. And that goes back to alcoholism as well. I have to be accountable for myself. I'm responsible for myself. Uh, I'm not an alcoholic because I was molested by my uncle and my dad abandoned me at eight years old. And I grew up super poor and kids made fun of me at school because I had two outfits. Like that's not the reason why I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic because I have a disease. And, you know, now I have to, you know, look at those things and know that I have to be responsible for myself and retailers have to do the same thing. Own your shit. Yeah. You know, Hey, if you're in this business, you can make a lot of money, but you, you have to put the effort and the time into it. Thank you so much for your time. I love these conversations with you. I swear. I, I just like every time I get on with you, it's like, I, I just, there's your vulnerability and your honesty and your, I mean, I'm sorry, your retail belief and customer service blows me away. Like it, it you you speak my love language every single time we get on, on this call. It's called, it's, hey, you know, and I'm still learning, you know, it's crazy. I, I'll be 60 again next month and I'm always learning. You know, I, I, I oversee a rather large operation at Caton. Uh, we're a global brand. And it's like, you know, I'm always learning. I'm like, oh, my God, I just learned something new. And I love it. Because you can never think that you have this thing licked. You can never think like you've got it down because you've done it 150 years. We're always learning. Things are evolving, especially today. Things are moving quick. They're changing. They're going to change tomorrow. They're going to change next week and next month. So be ready for it. You have to be nimble and ready to react. So that's one great thing about this industry because we're always learning. And um, we just have to adapt and uh, press forward. But I, I love your questioning. You're amazing. I've always admired you. I love your podcast. And uh, you're doing great stuff. So Aww. I'm very humbled and grateful that you asked me for a second time so thank you thank you for your time yes and that is a wrap three tower podcast is produced by myself michelle sherrier and katherine kalu our website where you can find all of our episodes can be found at www.theretailhorrorpodcast.com and don't forget to follow us on instagram at the Retail Horror Podcast.